0: Dr. Colin Zhu is a family medicine physician and culinary school graduate. We discuss recommendations he has for his patients looking to eat healthier and physicians looking to do the same. We discuss the kitchen essentials with regards to utensils and small appliances, his go-to ingredients for simple, fast, healthy, and delicious meals, and we finish by discussing his book, Thrive Medicine.
1: Welcome to The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. A Practical Guide for Practicing Physicians, Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block.
0: Welcome back to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. On today's episode, we have Dr. Colin Zhu, who is also known as the Chef Doc. So, Dr. Zhu, thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
2: Hey, thank you, Dr. Block. I really appreciate it.
0: So, first off, can you tell us a bit about your training, where you went to med school and residency, what your training is in, and include that bit about culinary school?
2: Definitely. Definitely. I'm basically a board-certified uh, family physician. I'm also uh, board-certified in lifestyle medicine, and um, I'll get back to the lifestyle medicine um, in a bit. But uh, I went to school in West Virginia. I did my osteopathic uh, training uh, there. For those of you who don't know what uh, osteopathic medicine is, it's basically... Uh, very, very uh, similar to MD training, um, prescription of medications. Uh, we can do surgeries, licensed in all fifty states. We just have extra training with manual manipulation in the school. Other than that, we uh, look at things from a whole person uh, approach, and that was something that I, you know, really enjoyed um, about philosophies um, because my mother um, is a Chinese uh, medical doctor and she practices. You know, acupuncture and uh, herbs and things like that um out in New York. And so my upbringing was more focused on prevention, wellness, education, um, just basically connecting with people. And so um, I after I received my education in West Virginia, I taught an uh, an extra year in osteopathic training, and so kind of like a teaching assistant. And so I graduated after five years, and that, Produced a gap year. And so, what I did was, during that gap year, I just said to myself, What am I going to do? Um, a lot of people said, you know, they would travel and, you know, such and such. And I decided that I grew up with two parents who cooked in the kitchen. Um, I was very fortunate. I'm Chinese in background. And so, I just also felt that there wasn't enough nutrition um, in school. Um, I don't know about you, Dr. Block, but for us, it was around like 10 credit hours and it was mostly focused on biochemistry. Um, I remember reading a recent survey back in 2010, pretty much 27% of all medical uh, students across the board actually required a uh, nutritional course. And so, you know, I felt that there was a paucity in it. And so I decided, you know, what we need to do because we fight a chronic disease burden. We have an um, uh, obesity epidemic and a lot of things are lifestyle related. And so I wanted to learn more about food. And so I enrolled myself in a culinary school that was health supportive and plant-based. And I did that in uh, Manhattan. Um, After which, I went to residency, did my family practice training, and then afterwards, um, I had used my culinary education to enhance my day-to-day. So what that means is I practice mostly on the outpatient side or mostly in clinics. And in addition to one-on-one counseling with patients, talking about diet and lifestyle uh, tips, I also uh, hold workshops and uh, do demonstrations, uh, food demonstrations, and I also speak at different national conferences about food as medicine um, and or uh, lifestyle medicine as well. And so that's what I've been using the education uh, for. You mentioned
0: plant-based, and I just wanted to clarify the, the terminology for for myself. Is plant-based the same thing as plant-only? No, it's
2: not plant only per se. We're not talking about vegan where, you know, you're not having any type of animal foods or substances or clothing, things like that, because sometimes, you know, you could have uh, definitions can definitely overlap and vary. Plant-based mainly talks about um, having a majority of plants. And we're talking about, you know, dark green, leafy vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, legumes. Whole grains, you know, very, 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 very little processed oils and animal foods, including meats and seafoods and things like that. So that's what it you know, uh, mainly uh, means. Vegetarian, there's a whole host of different uh, uh, definitions um, as such. But when we talk about plant-based, we're talking about whole foods in its entirety and uh, retaining as much what Mother Nature has intended us for. Okay,
0: good. I wasn't clear on that term, but that certainly clarifies it. So, yeah, it sounds like that's really what a lot of us, dare I say, most of us are recommending to our patients nowadays, right? Mostly plants, little processed food, lean meats. Because if you use a term like vegan, you're right, that that also has a lot of other connotations, and I think an excellent example of a vegan food is an Oreo. <laughs> an, yeah. An Oreo yeah, cookie. Or- or- is vegan. So that's not necessarily what we're going for with our patients, but, uh, but yeah, whole, whole plants and yeah, very little processed or minimizing processed foods and processed sugar. So to, so to start, I think it would be great if you could give us some information for our med student or resident colleagues who don't have much time, don't have much income to work with and may not have so much cooking experience. So, if you could help our juniors out there, what are some recommendations that you would have if they maybe come from a house not like yours, where there's not much cooking going on and they don't have much experience? Where do, where should they even begin? Like, what utensils or what equipment should they
2: be purchasing to start with? Yeah, definitely, it's an excellent question. And like other healthcare providers, including myself and you, you know, we've definitely gone through that. Phase of our life and knowing what it means to uh, live off of a budget, and I think that it also relates to some of our patients. Um, For me, I do primary care, and we deal with all variety and across the spectrum in terms of social economic classes. Before I'm currently in LA right now, but before I was in Southern California, and I worked with an underserved Latino uh, community. And before that, I was in Seattle, Um, I was working with uh, refugees in a community health center. And so, uh, doing primary care, you know, you get to look at different populations and you kind of meet them where they are. And so, you know, for your med students and residents, this definitely overlaps with also our patient population that are also looking for things on a budget. And we live in a time where you know a head of broccoli is more expensive than a liter of coke, and um, that is attributed to public policy and you know how uh, certain things are subsidized. but that's an entirely different you know subject. So I would say where to start uh, would be number one, looking at your markets, your supermarkets, and also seeing you know what is nearby. And to believe it or not, there's actually different kinds and different classes of supermarkets. You know, you have your Whole Foods and you know, I what I would call your upper tier supermarket, and then you would have something closer to the bottom, where like a convenience store or a bodega or something like that, depending on what part of the country you're at. And then you know, you have everything in between. So I would probably say, in terms of plants, definitely shop for something local, okay, if you can visit farmer's markets, okay, you not only save in terms of cost, but also you get to meet the farmers and the people that produce and uh, farm your food, right? You actually save in terms of food mileage. And what I mean by food mileage is if you ever look at a produce and you look at the sticker and you look at where it's come, You have to understand and be mindful of how how many miles it has traveled until it actually reaches the shelves. And quite honestly, it doesn't get picked and automatically teleports to your supermarket. They need to do a process, bring you know certain chemicals to preserve the freshness of it by the time it gets to your market, right? So that's one thing to consider. So the closer in terms of food mileage it is to you. The better. Okay. Another thing to uh, think about. So, but
0: you know, when I was a resident, just the hours that we had to put in, and I'm sure it was the same for you, were so sometimes absurd that I, getting to something like a farmer's market would be, would have been really challenging. So, I really would have been stuck uh, going to just a typical supermarket. So if you have your resident and he's going to the supermarket or she's going to the supermarket, they've never had any type of cooking experience before. And they're just looking for something because you know what, they've been on their feet all day. They haven't been eating anything except for graham crackers and ginger ale. um, But they want to, you know, do something healthy, but really hard to screw up. So what ingredients are we looking at specifically where it's hard to screw up? So it tastes good, but it's, it's, you know, however you want to define healthy, it's uh, you know, better for you.
2: Okay. So if you don't have an opportunity to go to a farmer's market, I would recommend if you have the cheapest uh, plant food you can get is actually from ethnic food um, or ethnic markets. So for example, if you have like uh, an Asian market, a Mexican market, an Indian market, you actually save a lot more um, in terms of produce and you actually save a lot more in terms of spices and herbs. But to answer your question, um, if you were to just go to your supermarket, I would definitely say if you have little to no experience in the kitchen, what the pr- what the supermarket is, uh, does nowadays is that they actually combine certain ingredients uh, together, so you can immediately put it, you know, on the in the oven, on the pan, or on the grill. Okay, and we're talking about. Things like uh, something to start, you know, making fajitas, for example. You know, they would put different uh, tri-colored, you know, bell peppers together. You know, you would just pick up whole wheat tortilla uh, from the grain aisle, um, and then you know, just you know, make something quick like that. Or, you know, they have things to grill with. You know, they would have portobello uh, mushrooms. They would have different uh, grilling uh, vegetables that you can do. They also have uh, uh, ingredients that they put together, for example, carrots, onions, and celery that is a base for most soups, a base to make stock with, you know?
0: Okay, so, sorry. So, so far, a couple of things that, that you mentioned just to recap. So, sliced bell peppers in a frying pan as a base for, I think you said fajitas. And then what was that base for the soup? Carrots, onions, and celery?
2: Correct. Uh, carrots, onion, and celery, or it's also called a mirepoix uh, in French. That's a combination for the base of the soup. Okay.
0: Any other of those simple combinations that, that we might be able to help those residents or, or med students out with so they can make sure that what they're eating isn't, so, uh, isn't just ramen again?
2: Um, if you do not have time to prepare um, dry beans from scratch, um, you can get you know, canned beans or canned lentils, and also quick-cooked rice, um, uh, specifically brown rice. Quinoa is very quick uh, to make as well. And then that could be added with your vegetables. Um, You could stir-fry, you know, something really quick Uh, would be a couple more examples as well.
0: Any go-to batch cooking recipes? So for, for the listeners that don't know what batch cooking is, basically, it's how my family, we live our lives. We cook on the weekends. So my wife also cooks during the week, but sometimes either she or I, or both of us will cook together on the weekends and we will make something that will last for a long time, you know, make a a ton of it. Right, right. Have a couple of it, have a little bit of it fresh. And then the rest of it goes into the freezer for use later on, which with a, a resident or a med student or our patients, right? Who are busy and don't have much time for prep, It's a very easy way. You find a window of time, you take advantage of it, you cook a huge amount of it, and then you have a a lot to go with. And it's also a cheaper way to do it because the economy is of scale. So do you have any go-to batch cooking,
2: either meals or recipes? Um, So this is something that I personally do um, myself during my busy days in practice is I would get most of my grocery shopping and cooking done on a Sunday. And um, I would you know, cook for most of my lunches and then you know, cook for some of the dinners to mix it up. I would actually cook every other day if I'm really busy or maybe cook you know, fewer or more times just depending on the week. But I would say my, uh, the quickest and most nutritious would be to make big pots of soup, uh, stews, or gumbos. Okay, And you could do that with any variety of soup recipes. I would highly recommend a slow cooker. I know I know that we're going to talk about kitchen utensils, but a slow cooker is a great appliance, also very uh, uh, cost effective um to be able to you know put a lot of ingredients into it. And then you, you you know, set it and forget it. And then it does its own cooking while you can actually cook something else at the same time. So that way, you know, you're not, you're not spending time cooking two different recipes. You already have an appliance that's already doing it for you.
0: Oh yeah. I love, uh, I love the slow cooker. I, it's not really a plant-based thing, but, uh, chuck roast is mm-hmm. one of the cheapest cuts of meat out there because it, there's so much gristle in it and it's so tough but you throw that in the Mm -hmm. slow cooker and you cook it for 12 hours on low and Mm -hmm. it just it's Mm -hmm. just so good so it's cheap and then you get just a ton of of meat and then you can mix that in with your soups your gumbos or yeah it's very very versatile so yeah i love that slow cooker
2: yeah definitely i mean i just made uh the other night a uh a spicy like vegetarian gumbo on Using the slow cooker, so I had a separate batch of brown rice on the side, and then I just chop fresh uh, parsley, and you just you know garnish it, and that there you go. That's already three or four meals.
0: Oh yeah, and throw and throw the rest in the freezer. So what other? So the slow cooker. What other are some essential utensils to have around the kitchen?
2: So essential utensils is you don't have to have a lot of equipment. You don't have to have an. expensive kitchen to cook well. You need to have a few items and you just know, you just need to know how to use them properly. And I would definitely say, you know, spend money on high quality items um, that is durable. Okay. We don't want to, in my opinion, you don't want to really skimp out on that because not only does it, you know, affect you know the cooking and how well your food tastes at the end, but you also don't want to spend more money replacing the same utensils. So, for example, you know, I would recommend getting uh, either a small or large uh, saucepan, okay, where you can make stock and different sauces, or you can make, uh, you can also get a frying pan as well. I would say an eight inch uh, diameter or a 12 inch diameter too, if you're making for more than one. I would recommend, you know, stainless steel for these. In terms of a knife, uh, I would recommend a chef or a French knife, um, as it's called, and a uh, a sharpening steel to making sure that your uh, knives are, you know, kept sharp. The only other knife I would recommend that's essential would be a paring knife. Um, in terms of fruits and different uh, small uh, cutting as well, getting a good quality chopping board is, you know, essential. Okay. Um in terms of other utensils would be a spatula. Your, my, I probably use a spatula, you know, like a silicone because it's heat resistant, um, and you can get that very cheaply. And that is very versatile in terms of mixing, stirring, and things like that. If you want to be fancy, you can get a microplane to zest you know different things to put on food. But the only other things in terms of appliances I would get is definitely get a slow cooker like we mentioned before. A blender. A great things for blending would be um, making smoothies. Smoothies is a great idea in terms of mixing different ingredients together. That's also nutritionally packed. Um, you can also store as well. And it's very versatile. You can also make sauces out of that. You can also make... Um, you can even... A good high-quality blender, you can make soups out of that. Um, and also, if you want to be fancy, you can make your own salad dressings out of that. The only other thing I would recommend would be getting a toaster oven, so if you don't have time to bake something, a toaster oven is really quick, depending on the efficient, the heat uh, efficiency of a toaster oven very quick to throw like you know a pizza in or any other things you want to you know uh, throw in while you're doing something else because I know that medical students and residents want to save time
0: and I can imagine you can get something like that pretty pretty cheaply, I think. We we had to get a, a microwave for one reason or another, and it was just remarkable to me how inexpensive a microwave, like the cheapest microwave they had, I don't, I don't remember what it was, but it was something like, mm-hmm. I was shocked to see how inexpensive a microwave was. So I'm sure a toast would be relatively inexpensive as well. So how about ingredients? So you mentioned before some simple ingredients that were hard to hard to screw up, but do you have any what do you find the ingredients that you're most commonly using? I know for myself, I put chia seeds on anything. Like if you ask my wife, I really put chia seeds on too many things. And when I do, it's inevitably too many chia seeds and, and therefore I've ruined it. But you, do you have any things that, that you tend to put, incorporate into a lot of your meals?
2: Uh, yeah. So when I uh, am able to cook, um, I always... So when you guys do grocery shopping, and the, if the market has a bulk uh, section, and if it does, then that's great because you will save on cost if you get bulk items. And what I would recommend getting bulk items for would be grains like brown rice or quinoa, um, any variety of beans, black beans, Kindle beans, ki- kidney beans, And lentils, green lentils, red lentils, and honestly, those are probably going to be your most nutritious, uh, most satiating, high in fiber, and you know, most cost-effective items to get. Right in terms of produce, what I typically get is always a, a bunch of kale. Okay, kale is very versatile, and I know that we've been hearing kale and all over the place and you know, I, I do a lot with kale. You know, I can stir fry with kale, I can saute kale. I'm a big soup guy, so I always have carrots and onions and celery um, in you know my fridge. And then uh, usually I'll just mix it up. Um, I'm a big fan of mushrooms. Mushrooms is very uh, versatile. MSG, which is a very common flavoring, but it's also synthetic and not healthy for us. Is actually derived from mushrooms. So, when people are saying that, you know, something common I get from patients that, you know, mostly eat meat is that they don't, you know, they think that vegetarian cooking or plant based cooking is very bland and very, you know, just not flavorful. And if you know what ingredients to use, it's actually the opposite. And mushrooms is actually something that, you know, is actually, you know, very cheap and adds a lot of flavor, you know, to it. Other items I keep on stock would be garlic, fresh garlic and fresh ginger. Uh, growing up in an Asian household, uh, we use ginger for everything, uh, and garlic is honestly something that is uh, very nutritious and also a great uh, agent to be able to flavor a lot of different things as well. So.
0: Random question. How do you clean a garlic press? Because anytime I've ever used a garlic press, I've never been able to get it clean. There are always tiny little bits of garlic skin and old garlic stuck in it. Any tips? Com- I know this has <laughs> nothing to do with what we intended to talk about.
2: <laughs> this, is this is completely incredible. Incredible. okay. But what the hell? I, what, I'll what? i be honest with you. I have no idea what a garlic press is. I actually chop. And mince all the garlic myself um, using fresh garlic. What does it do? Does it clamp down and uh, give you a little? How does it exactly? How does it's got, it got it come a bunch of holes in it. It's got a bunch of holes in it, and like a
0: you know just like a, a press. So you you, you get squeezed yeah, yeah. through these tiny little holes, and then you're stuck with yeah. like some garlic remnant on the other side <laughs> hard to peel out okay, yeah
2: so. garlic garlic is uh, tricky because if your hands are wet or if the garlic is wet then the actual uh, peel of it will be stuck to anything you know the board or you know any of the utensils so what i do is you know i just take a couple of cloves of garlic i use the flat surface of my knife and i smash it i remove the peel and then i just hold the garlic and and just basically just chop garlic and then i just throw that to start any type of recipe that or any type of cooking i'm doing that night what about snacks
0: because a lot of times what i tell my what i tell my patients is try to have something relatively healthy that's just out all the time so that if you're walking by you're more likely to snack on that and then which then in turn mm. makes you less likely to snack on something that Might not be as healthy for you. So, what are your either for yourself or what you recommend to your patients? What what are your go to snacks to just
2: keep out
0: and keep available?
2: Well, I think uh, the first thing that you touched upon is you know, whenever you walk into an office, it's a very common thing to have, you know, candy or chocolates right there. And I feel that if you remove, you know, that item from your site, you're not going to be wanting to. Try to you know reach for it. For me, I'm more of a firm believer of you know getting good, nutritious, satiating meals two to three times a day. That way, that prevents snacking in between. I believe that you know if you snack you know more, that you're just going to be adding extra calories that you may n- not necessarily need. So, but to, a- to answer your question, I will, uh, for me personally in my office right now, I go to a wholesale club like Costco, for example, and I you know just get a jar of raw mixed nuts and we're talking about pistachios, cashews, uh walnuts, you know pecans things like that. It's easy to reach for things that are roasted and salted and what you don't want is the processed oils and the extra sodium. So um and I know very common things to get would be like potato chips and things like that, but Honestly, if I ever need to snack, and I do too, I always reach for a jar of uh, raw mixed nuts. Uh, Another thing you can do is, honestly, if you can prepare snacks ahead of time and you know that you're going to be snacking, pack fruit with you, fresh fruit with you, pack you know, very simple stuff, celery and carrots, and then bring a jar of peanut butter or almond butter or cashew butter with you. The combination of the two would actually satiate you. So it's really about the preparation, and that way you're not going to have hunger pangs and then have the impulses to grab something. You know that is where you know we falter is when we are not prepared, and then we're, we're like, oh my god, I'm so hungry. I and then you you know get hangry, and then and then you reach for something that is not nutritious because you're trying to fill that you know that immediate need.
0: So it's kind of like dig your um, dig your well before you're thirsty, dig your
2: yeah, exactly.
0: Whatever before you're hungry, yeah. So what about for our patients? I think a lot of the stuff, if not all of the stuff that you've mentioned so far is are excellent recommendations for our patients who may be suffering from a metabolic disease. But is there anything else that you haven't mentioned so far that you may be telling to your patients about improving their eating habits or if they haven't had much experience in the kitchen or or things that you would tell them about ways to prepare foods and certain foods to prepare that you haven't touched on yet?
2: Um, I think what we touched upon um, is, are very similar items that I touched upon with them. What I use is a couple of resources, online resources as well, because we live in a world where pretty much everyone is quote unquote connected and virtually connected. And so I rely on that as well um, for those that are you know, tech savvy, whether they use a computer or use their smartphone. So things, so meta- metabolic diseases, um, you know, like chronic diseases, like heart disease. You know, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, people, you know, with stroke and things like that. You know, these are different things that we deal with on a day to day basis. So, what we do is that I actually counsel them and coach them on, you know, pretty much the same thing. And one of the resources that I would love to give you is looking up um, Dr. McGregor's. A daily Dozen. And he is the founder of nutritionfacts.org. And it is a free resource online and on a smart app, commercial-free. Everything goes to charity from his web, uh, website and all, all the information there is vetted out, all scientifically-based, uh, evidence-based uh, nutritional information. And so he came up with a Daily Dozen that after so many years of you know, looking at uh, different nutritional scientific journals, he's vetted out different food groups, kind of similar like um, like a food pyramid or food plate, you know, that we, you know, have. And so I actually print that out. And I actually, you know, I can email this to you, Dr. Block uh, later on, but I actually print that out and I give them that as a handout. And I say, hey, this is are the different food groups that I want you to you know look at, and these are including similar stuff that we talked about: berries, whole grains. Uh, we're talking about you know cruciferous vegetables like Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, broccoli, flaxseed, fruits, beans, nuts, things like that. It also includes um, recommendations for exercise, and what I tell patients is. 30 minutes at least of moderate intensity uh, exercise that you enjoy. If it's not enjoyable, you know, it's not sustainable. And moderate intensity is basically you're huffing and huffing and huffing and puffing to the point where you cannot maintain a conversation, okay? That's moderate intensity. Beverages, we recommend at least 60 ounces of water. Um, You can also do green tea, uh, which is also packed with antioxidants, and hibiscus tea, which is proven to actually lower blood pressure as well. So that's what I give to them. A second resource that I would give to my patients is put out by the Physicians uh, Committee for Responsible Medicine, also a nonprofit organization. And they came up with a program called the 21 uh, Vegan Kickstart. Now I don't. what I tell patients is that don't let the word vegan you know, mislead you. Uh, what it is is that it's a free online website and an app that you can just type into Google um, called 21 Day Vegan Kickstart. And what it is is that it's a plant-based introduction. So this is also good for your medical students and residents. It helps with grocery shopping, it helps with meal prepping, and they have uh, plant-based recipes all for a 21-day program, all free. So what I do is that I print these two resources for my patients, and I give it to them, and I tell them to follow up. You know, in X amount of weeks or months, um, especially the ones uh, with diabetes, and I tell them, "Hey, let's go over this. You know, let's get back to this." Because in my opinion, it's not a one-off where you see them for your physical and then you say, "Hi, you know, goodbye," and I'll see you in a year. For me, things are more reinforced. For behavior changes, if you see them more uh, frequently.
0: Wow, those are, we'll definitely link those up in the show notes. So, the Dirty Dozen and then the Vegan Introduction, right?
2: The Daily Dozen, uh, Dr. McGregor's Daily Dozen. Dr. McGregor's Daily
0: Daily Dozen. Okay, thank you for clarifying.
2: And yeah, no problem. So, the, the
0: other thing that we were gonna talk about today was your book. Yes. And I think you just released an edition in... Now it's out in multiple languages, right?
2: You just released yeah. an edition in Spanish. In Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wrote a book called Thrive Medicine, and it's basically a labor of love. It It's kind of part memoir, part you know, self-empowerment um, uh, type of book. And it, it highlights my experiences as a traveling physician or a local tenant, Um, is what uh, it stands for in Latin. And what that means is to hold a place. And what that means is that when a physician passes on, goes on vacation, has maternity leave, or for whatever reason can't work in a certain period of time, people like us are hired to be able to fill the spot. And so from this experience, I was able to practice in four different states, practicing in varying different population, patient populations. And so I use my experience from that. And I also uh, travel the world as well. I've touched um, every continent, and I've visited more than 30 uh, countries so far. And uh, what I've gotten out of that are really, really great connections with uh, different travelers, different people from all walks of life, and... What I really, really enjoy is the deep connections with people, even if it's just for a few moments or for a few months or years. And uh, what I've uh, noticed and observed is that people give me a lot of feedback about how Colin or Dr. Zhu, you know, you've uh, definitely inspired me to do X, Y, and Z. And so over time, I just thought to myself, wow, wouldn't it be great if I could just put all these experiences onto paper. And that's what I did. You know, it took me a year and a half to publish the book in English. And now I just released it in Spanish. Um, and it's also um, available in audiobook format, um, as well as Kindle.
0: Wow. Really, really getting it out there. Was it you that, that uh, read the audiobook version? Yes, I narrated the book myself. Wow. So since the book is Thrive, can you give us one simple habit? For our physician listeners, that they can, that we can do, that can help us thrive and live more fulfilling lives—something simple and easy to execute.
2: Yeah, so I definitely say in our current world, where in our healthcare state, and you know we work hard as physicians, all from all specialties, uh, physician burnout is something that we hear about in the media, you know, a lot. And I definitely, definitely want to emphasize self-care. Self care uh, is basically what it means, literally, and that's taking a moment, taking a day, taking a few hours to reflect, re-reset, okay, and reinvigorate yourself, and basically remembering why you know you do the things you do, whether it's personally or professionally. And personally, you know, I am a firm believer that I don't want to preach something that I don't do myself. And so I believe that every doctor is a role model and a community leader. And we need to be able to walk our talk. So all the different dietary and lifestyle changes, you know, that I emphasize, I do myself. And so self-care is definitely something that I would want, you know, more of my physician colleagues and friends to do more of. And, you know, and that in turn leads to a more fulfilling functioning and daily life. And I just feel that you know, the better you take care of yourself, I honestly think the better you take care of your patients, Because if you go down, then you know, you, who's going to take care of your patient? So you know, that will be the biggest thing that I would emphasize towards our uh, physician listeners. Well,
0: if people want to get the book and learn more about you, where can they find you
2: online? Uh, they can find me online at uh, my website at www.chef.zoo.com. I have Facebook and Instagram that I'm uh, mostly active on and also YouTube. And you just type in the chef doc, you know, without spaces, he into those social media outlets. And then you can also find my book on uh, Amazon.
0: Great. This has been extremely informative for me. I'm anxious to now get back in the kitchen and I hope our <laughs> feel the same. I'm sure they do. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us from the West Coast. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you so much. I'm excited. Awesome.
1: That was Dr. Bradley Block at The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on The Physician's Guide to Doctoring.